Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point Consultants. And today, Miss Abby Parker is not with us. She is... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where she's at, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I just know that she has other things going on today. So, But I do have a very special guest who was with us last week, Miss Jenna from the office. Hello, Miss Jenna. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So last week, we spoke about brain spotting in a very general collective sense. And this week, we are going to be narrowing down the focus a little bit more and talking about how brain spotting is effective with kiddos. So what got you into, I know this isn't something we've already discussed talking about, but like how did you kind of find your way into working with more families and kids? I'd say that that started probably long before even becoming a therapist, really, I, in college, we had to do a service project in one of the classes that we were in. And I wanted to work with families and support them in their grieving. So in the loss of, and the death of their loved ones, specifically with kids and and teenagers. And I found an organization called Brooks Place, um, which is a you know, grieving center for young people. And it's on the kind of the north side of Indianapolis and they had program nights. So that's kind of where it all started. But as far as the, you know, my practice, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist associate. And so I knew there was intention in getting that degree because I wanted to work with systems, family systems, um, systems of um, kids, teens, you know, even not just your nuclear family, but even generations of families. I've really always been interested in that, working with blended families. I am a part of a blended family that I love, and it's hard to navigate life that way. So I really just felt a calling and a passion to work with people who are grieving, and and that takes many different forms, not just in the death of people, but in, in other forms of loss too. I find with blended families, there's a lot of need to kind of help find that cohesive flow having been a part of multiple blended families throughout my life like yeah it can be a challenge yeah I'd say you know my siblings and I we we are extremely close I really have one full sibling my younger brother and then I have three half siblings but they've never really been my half siblings per se they've always been a huge part of my family and you know, I'm very blessed to have them, but it is difficult and it was difficult for them. And I remember being little and that being difficult for them to leave and not understanding like, you know, on Christmas day, they had to leave after, you know, morning time and missing them. So yeah, it's hard for them and and hard for, for us as well, I think. And for other families, I've noticed kind of the same struggles. There's a lot of loss, a lot of great things, but a lot of loss. So kind of transitioning a little bit with, I mean, even with that, like thinking about the loss and all of the things that kids and families go through, like how can brain spotting be used to help kids? 
I think this goes back to, you know, our previous episode when I said there's infinite possibilities. I mean, there's a, there's a million different things. If you know that your child or your teen has been through something traumatic, something that that's more complex that they've been through, whether it be an injury or a loss of some kind or a death of someone, that's very traumatic, you know, can be very traumatic to our brains. And so there's kind of those obvious traumatic experiences that are like, oh, my kid's really suffering because of this. And I want to, you know, be able to, to, you know, ease that, that pain and, and release that activation they're experiencing. So there, that's kind of the obvious, you know, setup. And then I think another way that brain spotting is really, really helpful, something that we learn in working through training of working with um, adolescents and kids is their brains are still developing up until like our mid twenties, our brains are developing. And so there's different ages and stages of development. And when kids are born, they have, you know, more of the primal parts of their brain and that's pretty much it. And so we kind of build from the bottom up, you know, cognitively and socially, emotionally. And so we talk about how to work through ages and stages and and that can be a part of brain spotting as well. So there doesn't have to be some complexly traumatizing thing that has happened for kids to struggle. I think brain spotting can be used to support kids in any way, shape, or form, no matter how intense something is that they're dealing with because their brains are developing. And so I see it as an aid in helping their brains develop in a way that they can function at the best of their ability when their brains are fully developed. I like that, how it, it's almost like it's a, framework to kind of help navigate the brain into functioning I don't want to say like properly but to help them find those regulatory type things or coping mechanisms or whatever to help their brain kind of like integrate and function in a healthy way. I don't know if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's, it's so, it's so hard and kind of the way I look at it, think about us as adults. Brain spotting hasn't been around forever. And so we are now dealing with healing and working through layers of our brain, our subconscious, and even deeper into kind of those primal areas of our brain, depending on what we're healing from or working through. Can you imagine the access these children and teens have to healing from things that are much closer to occurring, if that makes sense. Like if something just happened, they can heal from it right then and not build pathways off of dysregulation or being activated. Whereas we are dealing with the pathways are built (laughs) and now we have to go back and heal from things that happened to us you know, 15, 20 years ago that we didn't even know were still keeping us stuck. With kids, we have the ability to help them work through things as they happen, right after they happen, so they don't have to build pathways off of dysregulated responses, essentially. Like I was, I wrote a blog about this, Josh, but I was, and I guess I'm the easiest example to use because for people's privacy, I don't mind sharing my own details of my life, but I... Josh did brain spotting with me on taking my licensing exam and I was a hot mess. I couldn't even say it like when Josh is like, well, what are we going to brain spot today? I don't even think I could say I was brain spotting my licensing exam before I just started crying and I couldn't speak. (laughs) And Josh just sat there very kindly and compassionately with me as I struggled to even say the words I was going to be taking an exam, I think. (laughs) 
obviously he could tell it was very upsetting, whatever it was. But as I processed more through that, something that came up was my beloved softball coach, Pat Schmidt, who'd been my softball coach since I was like nine years old. We were at sectionals. It was, I think, my junior or senior year. But he looked at all of us and he said, girls, the difference between winning and losing is one, usually whichever team has the most errors. And I remember in that moment him saying that he wasn't telling us, you know, he wasn't condemning us or anything. He was an amazing human being and he really cared about all of us. But I remember in that moment in my brain, the way I set that up was I didn't want to be the one error that forced us to have one greater error than the other team, which meant we lost. So somehow I internalized that responsibility to not be that. So then not only back then when I was in high school did that set up a framework for being overly responsible, I get to my licensing exam and I catastrophized it to be like this huge thing that if I didn't pass, I was a failure to my family and I was, you know, I failed the practice because I really, you know, want to get my license and they're all supporting me. So it was just like, and maybe I even failed at being a you know, therapist, because if I couldn't pass this test, what did that mean about my skill? And, you know, what would my clients think? It was just this horrible dramatization of (laughs) failure that apparently went through my mind. I should have been a drama person, very dramified. Um, But now I can talk about it and I'm just fine. But back then, like that was, and I had to release that responsibility to something that no one intended for me to be responsible for. And I think kids go through that too. Um, It would have been great to have healed from that back when I was, you know, 16 or 17. (laughs) But I'll take it now too. That's fine. (laughs) I really like how you set it up in a way to where like brain spotting for kids is helping them. Like in my imago brain, this is how I'm interpreting it. Like we're helping to not necessarily always prevent the adaptation from happening But by addressing the wounds early on, we can in some way begin to help mitigate or soften some of the adaptations that they're going to have later in life. Things are always going to happen to us. We're always going to have loss and pain and disappointment and joy and you know, approval and kindness. And we're always going to have a mixture of things that elicit those kinds of feelings and emotions and responses. But yeah, it's almost like if we can heal from something when it happens, we can be regulated and make better decisions instead of, you know, our brain. Because especially when we're younger, we go back to fight, flight, freeze a lot quicker because age and stage wise, we don't have a lot else developed in our brain. Um, Because really our our first stage of cognitive, we have like three stages of cognitive development. And and so I joke with a lot of my parents because I'm like, you know, that third stage is where impulse control and executive functioning, all that great stuff that you want kids to be good at when they're younger starts being developed. I think it's around like age 14. Don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure. So it starts developing at 14. So all that time prior, <laughs> that part of the brain isn't even turned on yet. It's like, it's insane. So we have to, you know, no wonder parents are so tired because they've got to be a lot of that structure and support for their kids. But yeah, the brain is a really amazing thing and it takes a lot of education and especially in ages and stages of 
development for kids to know where they should be, to know what they're dealing with. I think one of the frustrating things about brain spotting with kids is if there hasn't been a very impactful traumatic event that you know has happened, okay, sometimes we don't get to know those things. So in brain spotting with children, sometimes they're able to change reactions and behaviors and they're able to be okay with things they weren't able to be okay with before, but we don't know what the creating event was that led to, or if there were multiple, um, what happened to set up their brain to respond the way it did. We just know that it's now no longer that way. And I think the best therapy secret that came from brain spotting with kids is we don't have to know what it is to know that it is. So we know something's activating our child. We know that they're dealing with something um, and they're, they're, be, they're being upset by it and being triggered by it, but we don't know exactly what happened to create that kind of response. And we may not know, but we do get to know if they're no longer activated or become the same level as upset once we've done brain spotting on things. So I think that's kind of a frustrating thing for some families. If they don't have a big traumatic event, sometimes we don't know what happened that created that kind of response from our kids, but we can help their little brains work through it because some of this stuff is even pre-verbal, pre-language centers of the brain. So they aren't going to have the language or even some of the concrete memory to share with us what happened. So total side note there. I'm a rabbit hole person, so <laughs> sorry, Josh. No, rabbit hole it. number one. <laughs> I love it. So there are a couple things in there. Like one, I think the ages and stages piece is really important. And here in a moment, if you don't mind, like kind of explaining a little bit about what that is. And then the other piece of that that I really appreciate is the concept of you don't have to know what it is to know that it is and we kind of referred to this last episode but it's the idea of and I share this with all of my clients that I'm doing brain spotting with like sometimes we know what is upsetting us thinking about this event or this experience or this situation or whatever like Something is triggering us to feel anxious, upset, scared, fill in the blank. And we're able to process that. With brain spotting, it can be like, I don't know why I'm sad. I don't know why I'm anxious or whatever emotion is coming up. And that's the one, that is one of the things that I really love about brain spotting is that I don't have to like cognitively know what is really causing me to feel this way all I know is I'm feeling this way and I don't want to <laughs> so yeah I think that is a really powerful aspect of brain spotting that is really helpful and has been really helpful to a lot of people I mean because with like some of the more traditional like CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy like Thoughts, emotions, and actions are all intertwined. and But if you don't understand the thought or the things that's happening that's causing a behavior or an emotional response or even a somatic response, then to me in my brain, like, then 
there's a gear missing from like really being able to make the the flow of that intervention work more effectively. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the hardest question for kids, because in in the stages of cognitive development, our kind of that frontal cortex is the last piece to get designed, but it's the piece that wants to know why. You know, I ask myself that all the time, that frontal cortex, like, why this and why that? And so what we end up doing is we end up asking, you know, trying to be helpful, obviously, asking our kids, why do you feel that way? Or why is this upsetting to you? That's a really hard question to answer because a lot of times kids don't know why. Like, one, they don't have fully developed brains yet. And there's kind of two resources that I'll share about here that I talk with a lot of families about when I am very intentional about it when I'm working with any kids or teenagers because I want their parents to know where they are in just the normal stages of development of kids, like how they develop and how we developed. But yeah, I think it's really hard to ask kids why questions when when they don't have the fully developed brains to answer a complex question like that and what happened that creates, you know, the upsetness or the response might be pre-language. So if it is, they're not going to have the words for it, which is a very interesting thing to consider. Not having the language for something. But kids really don't. One, they don't have a lot of language anyway. <laughs> you know, you get a seven-year-old and you ask them why. It's like, well, I'm going <laughs> to seven-year-olds, you know, language, um, options of language they have available to them is very limited. And so they aren't going to be able to accurately describe that. So not knowing what it is, knowing that it is, we can trust what we see, that their kid is struggling, and we can trust that that we can work them through that struggle. But we may not know exactly what creates it. And we have to be okay with that, not knowing. And I think that is a big piece of what gets a lot of people tripped up because they want to understand. They have to know, like, why. And sometimes we don't always know why. I mean, <laughs> for me, I'm like, ooh, that's a brain spot. Like, let's process, like, why we need to know why. <laughs> this is a Bethism, as I've called it on our Facebook page. But Beth was with us last time for brain spotting with adults. And she said, which is brilliant, um, asking why five times. If you're really going to ask a why question, you need to ask it five times. So why do we not always get to know? And then you ask a why question about your answer to that. And then a why question about your answer to that. So you essentially ask yourself why five different times in the answers that you come up with. So it's really interesting how deep you can go doing something like that even. Yeah. So there's a little trick of Bethism, as I've so lovingly put it. <laughs> so what can you tell us... I mean, I know that the ages and stages is like this really complex developmental piece, but how would you describe ages and stages to people that may not understand what it, that is? Good question. So there's two kind of resources I I like to use, and there's so many out there, but as far as, you know, psychology background, there's two people who really lay out ages and stages well, in my opinion. Piaget 
talked about the stages of cognitive development. So that's brain development. Um, and there's four stages of that, and it's based on age range. So I always give that as a resource to my parents. Where are they? Where have they been? What stages still need to be developed? What does that look like? I think we take for granted what we expect people to know. But if you've never taken a psychology class ever, especially on lifespan development, you would never have learned about these things or that they even exist. So I don't assume anyone knows even someone who's been through psychology classes or lifespan development, I relearn this all of the time. So that's kind of the first resource that I use to describe ages and stages. The second, which is a really, really good one, is Erickson's Psychosocial Stages of Development. That's where you're getting into your like role versus identity confusion. It's essentially these these arenas as kids age that they will deal with in psychosocial development. So the emotional, the social, the psychological. And so for example, identity versus real confusion happens in high school. And I can't remember the exact age range right now, but you can look it up. And it essentially means I need to now decide on an identity. And the latter of that is if I don't get settled into an identity that I can connect with, I end up being confused about the roles that I'm supposed to fulfill. So identity versus role confusion. If I can't really get settled into identities as far as who I am, what I do, like I'm a basketball player, I'm a, you know, I'm in band and I play this instrument. If I can't solidify identities, I end up being confused and so it just talks about those different stages of development and how we can help our kids through those stages as well. So those are two that I really use. And that kind of goes back into, you know, we connect ages and stages to brain spotting because we need to know where they should be, where they're at, do a lot of education, and do brain spotting around, you know, their age and stage. I think for me, like, the ages and stages piece can be really confusing or <laughs> it was always really confusing to me and granted like whenever especially in a graduate program when you're learning this stuff they're telling you like all of these theories at one time and now you have to go through and label which one's which and who did what but like it can be really confusing when you're looking at all of the information all together so I do think that like picking one at a time and maybe going through it may be helpful but yeah, I do think that it is really important, especially working with kids, to understand like where they are, what their brain is actually capable of doing in those at that age or in that age range, and then being able to kind of meet them where they are. Yeah, I like that you use that term, meet them where they are. That's a big, that's something that I actually picked up in at Brooks Place in training. And their big philosophy is meeting kids where they are. And that's something that I've kind of transitioned into using with families at Still Point. We have to meet them where they are, not where we want them to be, not where we think they should be. We need to meet them where they are. And learn about them from where they are in this very moment so that we can figure out what we need to do with them in order to get them past whatever the struggles are at that point in their life that's bringing you that that has you bringing them to therapy and I'm a big systems person in general so 
although most of the time someone presents in therapy, a family, you know, mom, dad, another family member presents with a child who has an issue or something going on with them. But I encompass, and I think everyone at our practice does this really well, actually, and I value um, being a part of Still Point for this. We understand that, yes, there's someone who's coming in with a presenting problem, but we want the whole family to participate. We want to learn about them. We want to support them because if I can support one kid and, and kind of work with them, but then, you know, they're able to do things in my office and then go home and there isn't the support for them to continue that work or the education for them there, it kind of all falls apart. So families have to be a huge part of our team at Still Point because if we can't help families learn how to transition things for their kids to, you know, not be suffering any longer than what's the point if they can do it in my office and feel better, but then they go home and they don't have the right tools and things they need there. So we're big on family participation to, to some extent. Um, they're not always a part of it, but, you know, most of the time there's a lot of support that's needed and a lot of education and families become a huge part of that for their kids in order for them to be successful when they leave our therapy office. And so teaching on these ages and stages of cognitive development, psychosocial development, I mean, there's tons of other education that we provide. Those are just some of the pieces that really help us to identify where that kid is that we're meeting them at, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I agree. The system that someone is in, especially for a kid, like is really important. So in what ways do you think brain spotting is different for adults than kids? After going through brain spotting with kids and adolescents training, I think it's more fun <laughs> to do brain spotting with kids um, and adolescents because there's more creative outlets that we're taught to use, like from drawing to coloring. There's just so many options for creativity, for using other resources in working with kids. Whereas, you know, not that you can't with adults, but I, but in the trainings I've done thus far, they are more pretty structured and pretty standard, you know, I guess steps to, you know, setting up your frame and, and kind of going through the, the motions of where your eye positions are and things like that. But with, with kids, you have any creative means available to you. Like we have, there's this book that someone wrote on brain spotting. And so I have it in my office and I read it to, you know, the age appropriate kids. Obviously I have kind of another way I describe it to kind of my older adolescents and teens of how brain spotting works. But with kids, there's a book already out there about it. And it's about this panda who is a therapist and he's got, you know, this bamboo stick and it's a really cool book, but this panda has a parrot, I guess. And the parrot's name is Polyvagal, named after, you know, Polyvagal theory. And it's a really cool, you know, bird. And, and one of my clients is like, you need to get your own Polyvagal because you are the panda, you know, you're the therapist. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I went online and I ordered one. And then I ordered this finger puppet size one. We call it mini bagel, like a, like a cream cheese bagel, because <laughs> vagal is a really hard word to say for a lot of little kids. So <laughs> we have Polly. And we have mini bagel. <laughs> mini bagel can go on the end of my pointer and be that 
eye position for kids gives them something colorful and an object at which they can connect to so yeah just there's unlimited possibilities for brain spotting with kids and I actually take a lot of those features and I use them with adults too because I have you know kid parts in me just like everyone else and I love that kind of stuff so it's kind of opened a whole new level of creativity so I don't know if it's necessarily different or just expands the options for what creativity can be but kids need that for their brain spotting like adults don't necessarily have to have those components but for kids those are really important resources to add into the mix and if we're meeting them where they're at you know they can't sit there for an entire hour and look at a single point because they don't have those parts of their brain developed yet you know for impulse control and and things like that like adults do so sometimes we're brain spotting all over the room <laughs> but we got to trust the process we've got to you know we don't know what it is we know that it is and and you know sometimes they're really quick sometimes it takes a lot longer sometimes it's one session of brain spotting and they're doing well sometimes it's more than that i can't assume simply because they're they have less development of their cognitive you know functioning and of their brain that that means they're going to be a lot faster at brain spotting that's not necessarily the case um, so they can take just as long to process through topics as adults can it just it kind of varies but i think no matter who you're working with like you said josh meeting them where they are at is the most important piece yeah i i think one of my favorite pieces about the kids training that you kind of shared with us is like the various creative ways that you can engage and use brain spotting like the drawing the picture and then processing from that picture and then drawing more like i just think that's a really powerful tool like, especially for even adults to be able to do that. And like you said, to process from those kid parts is really powerful and a lot of fun because that <laughs> lets us change stuff up instead of just holding our pointers. Yes. yes. Drawing and creativity are like using creativity are amazing amazing ways to kind of engage and so what we end up doing is we end up holding the pictures right and in their field of vision instead of like the pointer yeah i think there's unlimited possibilities so i try not to stick to just one but allow our instincts and theirs to kind of push us into new options it's so funny they know how they want things or where they want things to be or how they want to do them or when they're ready to be done like you know, in meeting them where they're at and they, you know, we're following them, right? That's the premise of brain spotting. So that's no different for kids. I'm not leading them. I'm following them and allowing them to do the work that they need to do and being that, you know, trusted. And, oh my gosh, can't even believe I didn't think to bring this up. It's like a light bulb just went off in my head. But sometimes it's just as important to have their trusted family members be present and a part of the brain spotting process. Now the parents aren't necessarily brain spotting unless, you know, if it was a really traumatic event and it impacted the whole family, then sure, everyone may need, everyone will, not that they always take me up on it, but everyone has to process through 
those things um, because we're all interconnected as a family. You know, we feel each other. We're connected to each other. If we go through experiences together, it's very likely we're all impacted, although differently, we're all impacted by those experiences. So I have, if my families can support their kid, you know, having a parent or a family member in the brain spotting session is a very, it's a very honoring and important thing because we're honoring the kid's space to process however they process. I'm really very candid with my parents about staying quiet, holding space, like setting them up to where they can be as calm and neutral as possible because that's what they need to be for their kid. And if they don't think they can do that, they can't be in my room very kindly and lovingly because we have to set up a really, really good space for that kid to be uncomfortable, for that kid to process through what they need to. I can't be over here sobbing, you know, while this kid is processing because they they will redirect their process to worrying about me instead of worrying about going through and being curious about what they are processing. Same with their family members. If their family members can't hold that space, they then become worried about them. And that's, you know, not helpful in kind of the process of, of that child being able to work through what they've been through if their parents can't hold it together. So I really am very intentional when family members join because that support is always a great thing if they can hold themselves together. And I help with that. And I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of options there, but I, you know, inviting family members into those sessions, especially with the little kids, is very important for them to have that extra trusted person to do that processing with. And I like that with brain spotting for kids, like in that option to have parents there, because it really teaches parents how to hold space for their kids when they're really uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful component that can be added into a kid's session. I mean, and I do very similar things like that with adults, like where I'll have a couple and one partner is holding space for their partner or whatever. But yeah. I mean, yeah, so exactly. I, so I do think that it's a lot of the same types of premise and concepts that are used and with adults or kids or whatever can be translated back and forth depending on the situation. That's why I think I love, or we all really love brain spotting mm -hmm. so much because it is so malleable. Yes, it is. And we follow our people, right? So we're following them and they're processing um, and I think it's also helpful to parent for parents to see, because I'm the one kind of, you know, reflecting back and mirroring for those kids. And it's helpful for parents to see how, instead of asking why questions, but how mirroring can help kids continue to process and provide new details or more information. A certain language that we use is helpful. So we're almost not only helping parents hold space, but modeling a way of communication and interaction with their kids at the same time. Yeah, we could talk for days and dissect, dissect brain spotting with kids and how powerful it is and all that it's taught us of what the possibilities are with adults too, I think. So why do you think it's so important for people to understand that brain spotting is also for kids? You know, had you asked me that question like a year ago, <laughs> 
<laughs> six months ago probably would have been a different response than now and who knows maybe another couple months ask me again and I'll have a different answer I think right now what I am noticing with just the way because kids are a part of family they're a part of community they're a part of school they're a part of their neighborhoods they are influenced by so many varying groups and social situations and I think right now you know, not only did all of our lives change last, you know, March when we had to go into lockdown, these, everything about these kids' lives changed. We've been universally shifted, like everyone has. And what I'm seeing right now with kids, specifically around school, if they're in person some, if they're doing virtual, if they're, even if they're in person all the time, it's different. And it's hard it's a hard transition and I find this time of year in general is really hard, but I think it's really, really hard for kids and teens right now. This is the longest set of time that they'll be in school without a break because their next break, like significant break, isn't until like the end of March. So they go from the beginning of January all the way to the middle or end of March without a significant break. It's the hardest months because it's cold and nasty and dark a lot more so I think it's important specifically to pay attention to how your kids are doing how their energy is how they're feeling are they coming home upset or you know and not necessarily just for brain spotting sake but this is a hard time of year and if you have the opportunity to schedule a couple of sessions for your kid to be able to work through everything that's happened to them in the last year alone, not even, you know, things that happened to them prior. I think we're setting our kids up better because I know everyone's hoping like things will be different or we'll eventually go back to some form of normalcy here once the vaccine, you know, is able to get spread out to the majority of the population. But I think once you have such a dramatic shift like this, there's going to be changes that stick around and that are now like part of the way we do society and the way we do life and the importance of it is helping your kids transition through this time in their life because I don't think we're going to know how impactful this last year and even you know further has been until much later down the road right isn't that how it works we don't know how (laughs) how impactful things are to us until much farther down the road because You know, we're in the thick of it right now, so we're just trying to function and survive and do what we need to do. But I think these are the moments that are the most important to do brain spotting in. Not wait until we know how it has impacted us, but to do it while we're going through it. So that's my soapbox plea. So what I hear you saying is that it's important for people to understand brain spotting is also for kids because, like, kids are experiencing a lot of things too and depending on their ages and stages like may not have the same cognitive functions that adults do to process them Mm -hmm. or to even understand them oh no yeah they don't and you know if we are struggling 10 15 times the amount for your kids and maybe you don't you know maybe they're not acting differently or you don't see it or it's not presenting itself yet but they're going through all of this and watching us go through it. So they're seeing how we're dealing with it, you know, how our lives are changing. 
they have access to any amount of information in seconds with technology. So like the election was such a huge thing this year. And, you know, a lot of my kids and teens were like scared of, of what the outcome was going to be and what was going to happen. And just they have so much access to everything that's going on in the world. And as an adult, I can kind of shield myself from it, right? And be like, oh, that's too much for me. I can step, you know, I don't need to read that right now. I need to step away from it. Kids don't have necessarily those boundaries yet we are the boundaries for them to say what is too much for them they don't know how to set those boundaries for themselves yet so I think it's so important especially right now that that kids have access to brain spotting and have have us able to set good boundaries you know for them and what they're paying attention to I would agree it does start with the family the parents Mm -hmm some ways being the gatekeepers to some extent yeah whoever their containers are whoever those people are in their life so how do you think brain spotting will impact the future of families i think if i could be so bold to say in in true i don't have expectations I don't have a limit of how it wouldn't shift or change what is possible for families as far as connection, as far as support, as far as healing, as far as, you know, I don't think it has any limits to how it could impact families. Really, yeah. I don't think there are limits. All good things, but I don't think there are limits to it, truly. It is limitless. Yeah, I find that brain spotting opens a lot of possibility for families where it wasn't before or was and wasn't able to be seen for whatever reason or experienced Mm -hmm. or felt. I do think that it can bring families closer together. It can help families learn to regulate and, like you said, find those boundaries and structures that are going to help foster the types of relationships that they want Mm -hmm. and that can impact the kids as they grow up and engage in their own families eventually. But yeah, I would completely agree that it is limitless in how it can impact a family. What I'm starting to notice from doing work with kids and working with the family as a whole. As we're brain spotting and working through whatever is going on with the child and they're starting to get better, sometimes other members of the family need the support next. So for example, if a child has avoided school for a long period of time and the school has been pressuring the parents and the parents are dealing with the kids, you know, withdrawal from school and they're tired and and they're activated, there's this invitation to not only support the child and as the child starts to go back to school and you know engage back in that social environment, find support there. I think it is really important for those you know adult family members and those other children to also have the support to heal from, from that experience too. And I talk a lot with parents and adult family members about doing their own healing from what happens to their kids or what happens between them and their kids 
because my prediction for those family members is if you are not doing the work to heal from what has happened, you will hold your kid back because you'll continue to be triggered even if they're not doing the same things they were doing. But you, but your brain doesn't know the distinction between, you know, them showing up and it being different. They think, you know, your brain still thinks it's the same. And so I'm really challenging right now, I think, a lot of my parents to go back and do the healing they need to do so that the entire family can move on. It's not just enough, in my opinion, for the kid to get to move on. I want everyone to move on. And that is, you know, the invitation that I've been giving out to a lot of families here recently is not only your child is important, but you are, and you're important in your child's life too. So you need to do the work so that you all can move forward together into what is possible for your family. Because if one of you's stuck, no one else gets to go past where that person's stuckness is. I really like that. No one gets to move beyond where one of the members of those families is stuck. Especially when it's a parent. Especially when it's a parent. As we wrap up, Jenna, like, what is one of your favorite things to, to use or do? When brain spotting with kids. Everyone's so different. It varies. Well, I really just, anytime a, a kid or, you know, an adolescent or teen gets to, like, work through something and they're no longer held stuck by it, that's obviously, you know, my most favorite, favorite thing. Because then they get to start moving in different areas in their life that they never got to move in before they were always stuck by so obviously the healing and and seeing how a kid gets to move past that stuckness is my absolute favorite part how their parents describe it and really I think probably my favorite part about brain spotting with kids is when I get to involve family members is the attunement and we talked about this in our first brain spotting but the attunement that parents have to their kids when they go home when they meet them where they're at when they come back and they give me kind of the report (laughs) essentially of how they're doing or what they're noticing like parents are attuning to their kids well after they leave that brain spotting session and they're coming back to me with information and they're coming back to me with things that they took from our session that I didn't give them homework to do but they went home and did and actually expanded the brain spotting work because with adults and with kids once we start brain spotting it doesn't just stop the moment they leave our office. Once they access those different parts in the brain, they continue to work through things long after they leave my office. So there could be continued impact and continued growth and removing of stuckness weeks after they've worked with me. So really my favorite thing is when parents get to have a different level of attunement and really get to, to see their kids in a completely new way and and kind of process that relationship differently. It's really cool. Well, as always, Jenna, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you being here today, talking with us about brain spotting for kiddos. And as always, please check out our website at stillpointhealing.com. You can check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest page at stillpointhealing. You can email us at so you can heal at stillpointhealing.com with any 
questions, comments, or podcast topic ideas. And until next time.